Warner Solicitors provide advice on a range of legal matters to individuals, families and businesses. The leading legal directories regularly recognise Warners as offering some of the best legal advice in the region. This series of podcasts will give you an insight into some of the legal issues that may affect you and your family. Hello and a very warm welcome to this podcast on behalf of Warner's Law. I have the pleasure of having uh, Charles Tennant with me today, who is a partner and solicitor specialising in family law with Warner's Law. Very warm welcome, Charles. Hello, Paul. So the topic for discussion today is prenuptial agreements, Charles. And if I can start off with an obvious question, what is a prenuptial agreement and are they legally binding in England and Wales? A prenuptial agreement is effectively a written agreement between two individuals who are intending to get married, although it might be slightly different if you were intending to enter into a civil partnership, we might call it something slightly different, intending to get married, and it's an agreement that sets out what is to happen in the event that marriage breaks down in relation to their financial affairs. And in relation to your second question, whether or not they're legally binding, well, that that's actually the most crucial issue of all. And very simply, if certain conditions are met, then it is likely they will be binding. But as a matter of law, and this is where English law is always quite difficult or unusual, technically nothing ever actually can bind the court. The court retains its discretion. And what that means is that the court can always take its own view and can't be bound simply by something that the parties entered into years earlier. Okay, thank you for that clarification. Now, why should couples consider making a prenuptial agreement? And how can a solicitor help someone make a prenuptial agreement? The reason why couples should consider making a prenuptial agreement is that by doing so, they're hopefully going to ensure that in the unlikely, and and we hope avoidable event that they get divorced, they don't have to go through some unpleasant negotiations, discussions, or potentially litigation. So the idea is that you take all of that away and you replace it with a plan, an agreement that's in place, so that if they do get divorced, it's straightforward and everyone knows what they're going to leave with. So that that's what the purpose is. And it's particularly important for couples, either perhaps they are on their second relationship, so couples who've been married before, or the other situation where it's often particularly important is where you have a couple where perhaps one of them has received a large inheritance or a large gift. And how could a solicitor help someone make a prenuptial agreement? Well, primarily the responsibility of the solicitor is to elicit the information they need from one of the parties, one of the persons entering into the prenuptial agreement, and then to actually draft the agreement itself to create the bespoke document that reflects the party's wishes and intentions. So what should somebody do if they're asked to sign a prenuptial agreement, Charles? First and foremost, they must not sign it. What they need to do is get independent legal advice from a family law expert who specialises in dealing with prenuptial agreements. That's the key point, is not to just rush into it. They must have advice upon it so that they understand what they are committing themselves to. And what should be included in a prenuptial agreement? There are quite a few areas 
that need to be included. But in very simple terms, first and foremost, there has to be some context. So what that means is that there has to be some information about what the party's respective financial positions are today. So to use that example of someone who's received an inheritance or a gift, they would set out the details of what has been received or what it's worth today. And then obviously the crucial operative part of the agreement is what the actual deal is or the terms of the deal are so that it's clear what happens in the future in the event of the breakdown of the marriage. And what happens during a divorce if the couple has a prenuptial agreement in place? Well, if the agreement has been properly drafted and if it complies with the conditions that the court has uh, set, then provided that the agreement's terms meet the party's needs, then effectively the usual arrangements or the usual process for resolving the financial arrangements will be circumvented and you will find instead that you've already got an agreement so subject to being satisfied you've met those conditions and that they meet needs and that's generally what we call capital or housing needs then there's no further dispute or debate between the parties. And are prenuptial agreements just for wealthy people, or is that just a, an unjustified perception? No, they're absolutely not for wealthy people. They are absolutely helpful for anybody who might be entering into a second marriage or a younger person who might have the prospects of receiving an inheritance in the future, because not only can you make provision in the prenup at the time you enter into the marriage in relation to those assets you already hold, but you can also make provision for what is to happen to assets that you might receive or inherit or be gifted in the future. And do you need separate legal advice on yes. all this? Yes, that's an absolute requirement. Both individuals need to have independent legal advice. And what you will generally find is that at the back of the prenuptial agreement itself, there is a certificate for each separate lawyer to sign, confirming that they've given the advice and that they're satisfied that their client has understood the advice that they've been given. And I guess that the disclosure of, of all assets is essential? It absolutely is. That's another one of the key conditions that has been set by the court. So that's not terribly demanding or time-consuming. It simply means that there's got to be a clear indication of what each individual's assets are. And if there's a change of circumstances, how does that affect things? That can be really very important indeed. And, and that's the fundamental difficulty with prenuptial agreements is that one is attempting to rub the crystal ball and look into the future. And the problem, of course, with real life and with families is that you don't really know what the future holds. So to a certain extent, when one is entering into a prenuptial agreement, one is taking this view about what one thinks the future holds. And of course, if their party's lives go in a different direction, if there's something that you had not foreseen, then, which is always possible, then it is quite likely or possible that the terms of the prenuptial agreement would not hold. So a good example, for example, might be if I don't know, the parties had children and it turned out one of those children had a disability, then that might mean that the terms of the prenup, the parties could not be held to it. When does a prenuptial agreement need to be entered into, Charles? How crucial is the timing on this? Timing is important. And in an ideal world, 
the advice guidance would be to enter into the prenuptial agreement not less than three months prior to the wedding or the celebration of the marriage. Having said that, provided that they enter into it 28 days prior to the celebration of the marriage, that's satisfactory. The real issue is when they're trying to enter into it less than 28 days in advance of the celebration of the marriage. And in those circumstances, what you probably find is that you have to consider entering into what's called a postnuptial agreement after the marriage to ensure that there's no risk of the prenuptial agreement falling by the wayside. Even though actually the two documents will probably be almost identical, the point will be that one of them will be entered into after the marriage when it's clear that there's no risk of someone having been pressurised to sign it because the wedding is the following day. So what do you do if you've left it too late to ensure that a prenuptial agreement is entered into in good time prior to the marriage? You absolutely still go ahead and get some legal advice. I'll be totally honest, a number of my current clients have left it pretty late. If you come to me, say, 12 weeks in advance of the date of the wedding, we can probably still get it done, that crucial 28 days in advance. Even if it's later than that, I would still say, come in, get the process started. And if we have to, we will focus on drafting a post-nuptial agreement. So as I say, it will look almost identical to the pre-nuptial agreement. It will just be entered into after the marriage rather than before the marriage. It forms the same purpose and uh, achieves the same outcome and end result. Just out of interest, Charles, how did COVID impact on um, the kind of timing for these pre-nuptial agreements being in place at the right time? I'm not sure it would have made a great deal of difference. And I'll tell you why, because, of course, the difficulty with COVID was a lot of weddings didn't happen. So you might have entered into your prenuptial agreement and then and not got married. In which case, in that scenario, the prenuptial agreement, whilst it will always refer to a date of a wedding, it will always say, or such alternative date as the parties decide to get married. And I know you've touched on the post-nuptial agreement side, but how essentially does a prenup agreement differ from a post-nuptial agreement? On paper, it looks very different. The, the real reason is, or the real key difference is, why is it happening? And what you tend to find is that a post-nuptial agreement is entered into for one of two reasons. Usually it's because what is provided for in most prenuptial agreements is some sort of review clause, some sort of, we're going to come back and take a look at this probably in X number of years ahead and consider whether the terms of what we've entered into now remain fair. So a lot of individuals will enter into a post-nuptial agreement. It's because they had considered and agreed to doing so when they entered their prenuptial agreement. The other scenario in which you find uh, individuals entering into post-nuptial agreements is where perhaps there's been a trial separation. They've decided to get back together. During that separation process, they took some legal advice. They thought it's going to be absolutely ghastly to go through a big contested battle with a dispute. So let's enter into a post-nuptial agreement now. So if the reconciliation isn't a success, we're not going to have to have that big battle. And are some assets easier to protect than others? On paper, probably does not make a great deal of difference. But in, in reality, it is always going to be easier to protect assets that have been kept to one side and have not formed part of the matrimonial pot of assets. And in particular, what I'm thinking of here is, is properties. So if someone inherits a property and, for example, they rent it out, it's tenanted and they receive an income from it, then it's always going to be relatively straightforward to point to that asset as part of their 
asset part and say this is kept to one side if for example someone inherits a property but they live in it and that's where the married couple live then arguably it's not so straightforward because it's it's the matrimonial home and the matrimonial home as is well known has its own central place in the way that divorce law is dealt with and a final question which is probably quite pivotal in this discussion is the one that asks the question do prenuptial agreements need to be fair but i guess that's a very subjective kind of area isn't it ironically they probably don't need to be fair but what they do need to do is to ensure that needs i mentioned it slightly earlier that needs are met so and primarily that's capital needs primarily that's housing needs so if you have a pre-duction agreement that leaves one party housed in a splendid valuable home worth millions of pounds but leaves the other party on the street then that's never going to work that's not fair it's not going to be upheld by the court so the trick for the person who wants a prenuptial agreement and wants it to protect their assets is to ensure that there's enough provision in there to meet the other's needs but less than a court might have awarded them had there been a dispute so you're obviously very fully practiced and acquainted with drawing up prenuptial agreements charles do you find this is a very kind of um, an emotional area when it comes to couples that are kind of breaking up or (laughs) i suppose if you're asking your partner to sign a prenuptial agreement does that cause conflict straight away if there isn't that conflict and there in the first place fortunately it doesn't seem to and that's because it does seem that most couples by the time they have got to the point of consulting lawyers have sort of already accepted that in principle a prenuptial agreement is going to be in existence my experience is you tend to find that when you peel back the layers of the onion that actually there's been quite a lot of discussions about it and that by the time they come to see the lawyers it's already pretty settled between them that it's going to be there so it, it doesn't seem to cause too much disharmony but certainly you don't want them to be negotiating on the terms of their prenup days before their wedding that i think is something that really must be avoided uh, and i can't imagine would be you know pleasant experience for anybody this is supposed to be a happy event getting married that's the problem is it's a rather it's a rather artificial exercise entering into a prenup but there we have it charles thank you very much for answering all those questions very efficiently if people want to get hold of you on this topic charles how can they do that they can contact me by telephone uh, my direct dial is 01732747956 and I've got an email address which is c.tenantatwarders.law. Thank you very much, Charles. I've been with Charles Tennant today, specialising in family law and especially on prenuptial agreements. Charles Tennant is a partner and solicitor with Warner's Law. Thank you for listening to this Warner Solicitors podcast. To find out more about our expert legal teams and the advice and services they deliver for both individuals and businesses, please go to warners-solicitors.co.uk.